One little clarification. Um, it's Leland, North Carolina, uh, which is right outside of Wilmington. Um, so again, uh, my name's Heath. I just want to start off by telling you how much I love your pastor. Um, I literally got my start in ministry with Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know why Jimmy wanted me to help in his ministry. I don't know why Jimmy, um, when he transitioned out of being youth pastor, would even recommend me. Um, but I wouldn't be 21 years into um, doing what I do and planted a church in Leland, North Carolina without your pastor. So I just want to say um, you've got a great Great man leading you guys. Love, Pastor Jimmy. Um, so, thank you. <clears throat> so, what I have um, for you today is going to be a little uncomfortable, uh, in a sense, um, because it's going to challenge some of the things that you say you believe. I'm going to start off with this statement, which is going to hurt a little bit. Um, you only believe in the parts of the Bible that you do. It does not matter what you say. It does not matter what you have memorized. If what you say and what you've memorized hasn't made its way into your actions, it's pointless. The world is looking to see the gospel lived out in us, and it will not happen until we take hold of what it says, and we run with it, even in our flawed state. No one in this room, including me, has perfected this. I would love to say, like, guys, I've got this all figured out. I have the 10-step plan for you to get your life figured out so you can be just like me, but that's not what's going to happen today. <laughs> what's going to happen today is we're going to go in James... And we're going to be pointed to this reality that we are called to be doers of the word. And you may ask, like, why does that matter? You know, is it knowing enough and being able to communicate the truth enough? And it matters because the vision and mission that God has given every church, including this one, is big enough to warrant your attention. And it is big enough for you to stop just playing church and stop with the, you know, the niceties of what you think you should say and let the gospel get so in you that you cannot control the things that you must do because you love Jesus so much. And Jesus is worth every bit of your life. No one's going to get to the end of this life and go, man, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have um, got more accolades. I wish I would have got this award. No one at the end of every single person's life is going to be like, I could have given more to God. And so I, I want to help challenge you today so that you don't waste any more of your life, but you start taking serious the things that God has called us to. And we cannot, we cannot understand that unless we look at the word. The word is the one thing that tells us who we are, what we can do, what we're capable of, and what God wants to do with us in this world. But we have to look at it through the lens that this is his word. 
because we want to live a life that's willingly surrendered to him every day. And I would love to say at the end of this word, you'll get it and you'll go out and change your world. The likelihood is that you'll get a piece of this and you'll begin to act on it. And then you'll get another piece and you'll begin to act on it. And that is what our faith lived out looks like. So I'm gonna get into James, but before I do, I, I love to pray. The most important things that I'll say today um, is gonna be out of the word of God. Like I, I'm gonna probably make you laugh a little bit. Um, I may say some things that are humorous. If I say anything that's really, really like, man, that's awesome. I probably stole it from somebody. Um, there's not a whole lot of original thought in the world anymore. We heard it from somewhere. So I just wanna prepare, but we have to prepare ourselves to hear his word, so let's pray. Uh, Dearly Father, Lord, we submit and surrender that your word is truth, that your truth leads us to life, and we will accept no counterfeits. We will accept no halfways. Lord, we wanna surrender completely. We wanna learn to know you, to hear your voice, and to obey what you tell us. And that starts today in your word. So Lord, would you challenge us? Would you show us your heart for us in your word today? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna be in James um, chapter one, verse 19 through 27. I like to give a little bit of an idea anytime that I'm going into a book, who, who wrote this, what's going on, just to kind of give you a little uh, understanding. James was written by Jesus's half-brother. Let me just tell you, um, during Jesus' ministry, um, James wasn't on board with <laughs> Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, there was even um, times where his family wanted to rescue Jesus and take him away to a padded room, like, hey, we're, we're coming to get you, collect you, like, he, he's not quite there. And, and, and there wasn't this, like, James, like, my brother's the Messiah, <laughs> Um, if you have a brother, it's real hard to say like he's the Messiah. It just is. I don't care if he's Jesus or not. It would just be difficult. And, and not until Jesus came out of the grave did James see it, at least from what we see in the text. But when Jesus came out of the grave, and he was probably there witnessing his death, thinking like all the other disciples, well, that was the end of this story. And three days later, when he came out of the grave, it changed everything. James became one of the leaders. He actually led the church in Jerusalem. When they were making um, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, he was the one there leading and guiding the church. This is his brother. And let me just tell you, when your brother worships you for the reality of who you are, it changes everything. James uh, was written to a church that was Almost all, because what we see in the text, we don't see any comments or um, talk of the Gentiles. This was written to a church that after the stoning of Stephen was pushed out to the outskirts. And this letter was to encourage them in their persecution. Beginning of James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Let your steadfastness have full effect so that you will be whole and complete, lacking in nothing. And I just want to tell you, you will not be whole or complete without a little bit of suffering. If you're hoping to find Jesus so that it'll be easy, um, you've found the wrong Jesus. It will be easy because you're with him and he will give you strength, but it won't be easy as our world wants easy. 
He wants to challenge us. He wants to um, speak to us. And this was written really early. They believe it was written around four, year 49. And they believe that because there was no mention, like I said, of the Gentiles. Um, there was lots of things that hadn't happened that would probably have been written in there. And so he writes this letter to the church to encourage them. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19. Verse 19 starts like this. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm just going to tell you, I've heard this um, for a long time. God gave us two ears and how many mouths? One. And for, for some of the husbands in the room that have, have learned, like, I will just be silent. God, James isn't saying, hey, just, just shut your mouth and never say anything. James is saying, use wisdom with your words. See, the danger is when we just are quick to speak, like we, something happens and we respond immediately with whatever comes into our brain. It's usually not good. And this, this list, in verse 20, it says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And there is a righteous anger. Let me just tell you, but I don't, I don't know that I've ever met or have ever experienced righteous anger that's holy that's coming out of me. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Like we're, when we get angry and I've, I've driven, I've been here all weekend, so I've ridden around your great city and it's just like every other city, there's traffic. And with traffic, there's people that drive poorly. I'm gonna tell you, um, I'm, I'm not like driving the, like I'm gonna say I'm sinning right now. I've been driven the speed limit while I've been here. And I, and, but I haven't gone really excessive because I have rules for where that is. Uh, but people go by me like there's, I'm like, is there, is there, like if something happened is like, you know, I just, there's a report that there's a tsunami coming and they've got to get out of town. They're flying past me. And we've got to realize that as we're on the road, and, and I think the road and driving is really where we realize that our anger isn't righteous. Um, I have this pet peeve of mine, um, just like most towns, there's always construction on roads and there's always a point where a lane gets diverted into the other. And they're usually really good of letting you know that it's coming way back in the back. And so like me, I want to obey the rules, not the speed limit rule, but the other rules. Um, and so I get in the line that I know because this is the lane that's coming and everybody's just speeding by. And I'm like, it's everything in me, like I just want to, judgment, like how could you get a flat, I don't say that, but like I, I have to work on what's going on because I feel like, you know, you know, where are you going? Where are you going? Are you going to the hospital? Is something going on? No, they just want to get past you. And then the Holy Spirit has to literally intercede for me as we get to the point where people are finally wanting to get in front of me. And I got a church sticker on my truck, so in my town, I got to let everybody in. I'm like, yeah, come on in. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. Just come on in. And so I, like, I let people, I feel like there should be rules. Like, I'm going to let one of you in. Not more than that. Like, somebody else has got to let other people in. And, and it just it rises in me how unholy I am when I get in a car I don't know about you, but other men in the room, like, it's just a race. I don't know why. My wife's like, well, we're not in a hurry. I'm like, well, that guy, car's going to beat me, and I have to get there faster, even though we're not going to the same place. 
So we got to be careful what's going on inside of us, and we got to be cautious of what's coming out of our mouth. Listen to this in, in Matthew 12, um, verse 36. It says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That should hurt. For by your words, you are justified, and by your words, you're condemned. See, words matter. It literally, one of the Proverbs says that out of our tongue comes life and death. And so this is one of the things where he's just getting ready to say, we gotta be doers of the word. He starts here. We gotta be doers of the word with our words. And I just wanna, I just wanna let the church know that it's not just the words that come out of your mouth. Nowadays, I think <laughs> the most diligent we need to be with the words are the words that we use with these when we get on the computer and we get on Twitter or we get on Instagram or Facebook or we're like, oh, I'm about to show you. You know, like we were like, oh, we don't see them face to face. We would never confront somebody like, I saw that post that you posted on Facebook and I don't like it. And this is what I think about it. We would never do that. But like on social media, mm, mm. Uh, I, I say all the time, I have a, a really mostly hate-hate relationship with social media. I think your life would be better if you just got rid of it. Um, I've been off Facebook for two years. Yes, yeah, support, support, <laughs> support group. Um, I, you know, I struggle with Twitter and Instagram. They, they, they have a um, on again, off again relationship with my phone. Um, I put them on my phone, and then I'm like, nope, I don't want them on my phone. They're off my phone right now. Um, but so, what do we do? Here's one verse that I think if you have, if you want a verse to memorize. Um, and in this category, there's already the Holy Spirit's like, oh, there's, there's things that I need to work on. Here's one, Proverbs 10, 19. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Another translation says, when words are many, sin will abound. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Mm. You know, how many times have we as soon as the words came out of our mouth, we're like, we really shouldn't have said that. I think it all the time. I'm a verbalizer. Uh, my wife is an internalizer, so she thinks about what's going on, but she rarely lets it just fly out. I just let everything fly out, and I regret lots of my words. <sighs> Verse 21, it says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This word meekness tells us that we should come to the word with a soft, gentle, teachable disposition, recognizing the authority of God's word and submitting to it. One of the most dangerous things that we can do is read the word, but forget that the word is our authority. Instead of reading some words and be like, I don't like that and I'm not gonna do it. It's a dangerous place to be. And it says, there's this idea, and I've been I'm reading another book that has the same idea. For us to add something, we have to take away something. If you're gonna add something to your schedule, you have to say no to something. And it's saying right here, we gotta put away this filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. So some of us are like, we wanna receive the word, but there's some things that we need to put away so that it's word we can be receiving with meekness. And what do you do when you implant something? I, I'm not a farmer. We, we try to grow a little crop in our backyard. We have a neighbor who loves deers and feeds them. 
Um, and so they're just right there in our backyard, and they think, why not? They feed us this other stuff. This must also be for us to eat. And we've put a, we just bought a camera to put back there to see the, you know, the, the offender. Uh, we got this little noisemaker to try to scare them away. We're going to order some stuff to spray on it so they'll leave it alone. But like when you plant something, you want to take care of it. You know, when you go plant something, you don't just like, hey, I want a garden. See you later. Hope I, hope I get something out of that. You plan it. You care for it. You water it. It's the same thing with the word. We don't just like zoom through our word of the day, our verse of the day, our one-year Bible, whatever you're reading, and go, oh, da, 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 that's great. We've got to receive it. We've got to prepare where it's going to go, and we've got to condition ourselves to care for the word that's coming into us. And what do we do with it? And it says, this last section of that says, which is able to save your souls. The verb implies not merely salvation of the soul, but also the restoration of life. The, the word is what brings us life. John 10.10 10 said, the devil come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. That's the word implanted in us. Verse 22, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Just as the person who has no interest in hearing the word of God is horribly deceived about his spiritual condition, so is a person who is content with hearing and not obeying. Um, John 13, 17, this is right after Jesus is demonstrating his humility and his grace, and he's washing the feet of his disciples. I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. Um, anytime I feel like, man, I'm not <laughs> capable or ready, I feel like, man, God had grace with Peter. God will have grace with me. And um, Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're going to have no part of me. And he's like, all right, wash my whole body then. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You know, a man that's taking a bath only needs to clean his feet. Uh, I won't get into that. And, and so this happens, and at the end of this, um, this verse, John 13, 17, it says, if you know these things, this is what he's talking to his disciples, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 23, it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the gospel, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I brought, I brought some props. This is my wife's. Um, I got a real manly mirror. <clears throat> and I, I want to explain this because I think sometimes we're like, what, what is it talking about here? When you got up this morning... I would say most of you, you, you look great, you know, like you put it together, hair looks pretty on point. I mean, I can't see everybody, but you probably stood in front of a mirror. And if you ever look at yourself after sleeping all night, you know, your hair's usually a little messed up and you got a little stuff on your face, maybe some other stuff going on, but you look in the mirror and you see an issue that you need to correct, the, the, the hair, the, the, the eye booger, whatever, or the real booger. You see it and you're like, I need to take care of that. Looking at the word and doing nothing is like seeing that booger in your nose or seeing that messed up hair and going, yeah. And then walking outside and wondering why everybody's looking at you going, oh, 
See, a mirror is made for us to look at it and see what's going on and fix what we don't see. So, you know, if, if I left out and I looked in the mirror and was like, oh man, my, that, this, this, you know, like my hair just got messed up. I can look in the mirror and I can go, oh, okay, well, I need to fix that. And that's the beauty of wearing a little bit of product. It'll go back to where it was. And you look in the mirror. And so your mirror may not say this, but my mirror says, you look amazing. <laughs> you look amazing. I think the danger too is that we can look at the wrong mirror that will have the message, you look amazing when you don't look amazing. When we look at ourselves in the mirror of the world, we, go, we may go, man, I'm doing so much better than everybody else. I'm amazing. But when you look at yourself as regarded in the word, we will see the things that we need corrected. We'll see the things that we need to fix. We gotta be cautious that we're allowing the word to be the one that tells us who we should be tells us what we should be doing, tells us where our identity is. Verse 26, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Um, I am, um, th these are not cuffs. Everybody's like, what's going on here? Um, I have a, a lady in my church. She owns a, a nonprofit farm and in in pre preparing this, I was like, man, a, a bridle. Um, I don't know a ton about horses. I know a little bit, but for those that didn't, I wanted to bring this in here so you could see what this is. And he's talking when you bridle a horse. So they put these in the mouth of heavy thousands of pounds of animal that is stronger than you to get the animal to do what the rider wants it to do. And when they pull back on the reins, this is what I've been told, so if you're like a equestrian expert, forgive me for getting anything wrong. When you pull back on the reins, it, it puts pressure on the roof of their mouth, which is uncomfortable, and it gets them to like quiet down or settle down or go right or go left. And that's what it's talking about here. And I didn't know this. I kind of thought that, you know, you've got a bit, you got one bit, and they're all the same. And she, she brought me like three. She was like, which one do you want? And this one had a, a break in the middle, so it's, it's, it's a nicer bit. So it puts less pressure. This is kind of a medium one. And she had this other one that's like if you have a really unruly horse. that if you, She's like, if you pull hard enough, this horse will throw itself on the ground. And I was like, man, some of us need that one. Some of us need, like, th this one, even as uncomfortable it is, it isn't working. You need the one that God can just go, oh, boy. I've told, I don't know how many times I've told you not to talk like that. We need, and he's saying, hey, if you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. And I'm telling you, we're communicating to a lot of people around us that our religion is worthless by what comes out of our mouth. Over and over again. Take those claps and turn them into action. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> See, our tongues reveal our heart. Listen to this. In Matthew 12, verse 33, it says, Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? He's talking about the religious leaders of the day that knew all the truth. They were like accurate on doctrine to an extent, but their life didn't mirror any of it. 
He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth is telling everyone around you, specifically your family, what you believe about Jesus. <laughs> I found this quote, um, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. He was once uh, confronted by a very critical woman after a service. He said, Mr. Wesley, the strings on your bow tie are much too long. And, uh, you know, I'm not even wearing a tie, but like a bow tie, back in the day, I've seen pictures of it. They have these little things that hang down underneath the bow tie, the little strings. And she was like, you know, too hip, too trendy. It's like the skinny jeans of the day. Um, and she was like, I don't like it. We need to do something about it. So I love this. I love people that think far enough down the line that they don't even know that they're getting tricked into learning a lesson. And so he secured a pair of scissors and he asked the woman if she would trim them to her liking. And she's like, <laughs> all the religious people in the room are like, yes, perfect. After she did this, Wesley said, your tongue, madam, is an offense to me. It's too long. Please stick it out. I'd like to take some off. See, your words are telling everyone what you believe. And, and your Christianity is not limited to what the people in this room think about you. Your Christianity doesn't get left here and picked back up next Sunday. Your Christianity, your devotion to Christ should be seen in your workplace. And let me just tell you, God is gonna give you ample opportunity to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I don't mean to suffer for suffering's sakes, because some of us cause our own suffering and we need to stop that. But when, when Jesus brings us a difficult person, Jesus may be going, hey, I wanna shape your character. I want to do something in you. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widow in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, our religion is useless if it doesn't tame our tongue, it doesn't move our hearts, and it doesn't separate us from the world. Anyone who thinks otherwise has deceived his own heart. See, everybody finds it a little bit easier to be a good Pharisee when most of our world is just asking for a good Samaritan. If you're unfamiliar with the story, um, Jesus was asked by the religious leaders trying to trap him, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, okay, okay, who's their neighbor? And so he tells them this story about this man that was making a journey and he gets, um, he gets beat up and left for dead by robbers. And three people, religious people, walked by him and did nothing. In their story, they would have been the heroes. And then a Samaritan comes by, sees him, cares for his wounds, takes him to an inn, um, gives him medication, takes care of him, pays the innkeeper that, you know, if here's money for his stay, will you let him stay until he recuperates and he can go? And if it's more than that, I'll come back and pay you. Let me just tell you, the hero of um, the Jews of the day was never the Samaritan. 
The Samaritan was an outcast. The Samaritan would be the villain of the story in their story. And so Jesus takes the one person that they're like, he's definitely not my neighbor. And he says to them through the story, look at this, who was a better neighbor? And I'm sure it, it pained them to say the Samaritan. See, Jesus in these things with the visiting the orphans and the widows, he, he's not giving us a checklist that, okay, I did a little orphan care, oh, I did a little widow. These were the, the least likely people that were uh, able to care for themselves. They were the lowest of the low. They, if, if they didn't have someone taking care of them and they didn't have some of the flawed systems that we have today to help them there, if they didn't get help, they would have nothing. They wouldn't have food. And he's saying, hey, real religion is people that put their feet to the ground and do something. Listen to this in, in 1 John um, chapter 3, verse 17. It says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Our actions will communicate. And I'm not saying, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll take that, uh, I think it was Fran, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, it says, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. Um, words are necessary. In today's culture, they, they need to hear the correct gospel. I'm not discounting that, but if they hear the correct gospel that's not matched with the correct life and walk, they won't believe you. In our city, this city, my city needs to see you loving Jesus so much that you will pick up your cross daily. You will deny yourself and you will say the mission is greater. And I love, I think it's on the 29th, there's served like, I would love out of this that the, the most people, maybe you're like, man, I haven't served day, I don't have time. I think it was the 29th, whenever the next one is, go serve. There's something that happens when we put our feet on the ground and we love people not expecting anything in return, just loving people. See, to be unstained from the world is to maintain both personal integrity and moral purity. It is to review, refuse to allow the world to set the standards for our beliefs and our conduct. See, we need to get off the things of the world that's telling us this is how you should behave, this is what you should do, and we should get in the Word and start acting it out. I've got a, a few questions as we come to a close that I just want to stir the pot. The book of James is considered to be the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's like one truth nugget after another truth nugget after another truth nugget. And the, the, the idea of um, Proverbs is that if you'll walk in wisdom, there's a blessing that comes from it. Same thing with James, if you'll walk in it. So my first question for you today is, what wisdom are you hearing? There's a lot of things that I've, like, I don't think anybody's gonna leave the room like, I'm great, I'm glowing, 10, 10 out of 10. This is how I'm doing. There's probably something in what I've talked about that you're like, here's a wisdom that I need to learn to walk in. And what I'd like you to do is not figure out all the things that need to be fixed in you. What I'd like for you to do is pick one thing that you're like, man, I'm not walking this out. I'm not living this and I want to and I'm going to and I'm gonna commit to seeing this out because this is our faith journey. We, we continue with one thing, we get 
it in our life, make it a habit, and then we start on another thing. And we do this forever. We'll be in this journey until the day the Lord takes us back. Another one may be that you are the most biblically literate person in the room, but you aren't a good person. Like some people need to put your theological books down for a little bit and and learn to flush out what those things, those truths mean. Because biblical knowledge without action is useless. And so if you're going to walk out the word, you have to know the word. So here's some things in preparing, in, in preparing yourself for. Are you preparing yourself for the word? When you, when you open up the word, and hopefully you do, when you open up the word, are you preparing yourself? Like it could be just a short prayer of going, God, I, I need your wisdom. I, I, I want to hear from you this morning. Just preparing, not just pushing through and reading. Are you receiving it with meekness? Are you ready when the word points to something in you to go, okay, yes, this is what I'm gonna work on. And are you a doer of the word? So you can't do what you don't know and you can't know what you don't read. And here's another convicting point here is, can people around you see the gospel in you? Because they need to. What is your tongue telling those people around you, specifically those closest to you? We can pretend really good with the people here. Like your wife and your children, like one of the things that I've been crushed by, I've been in ministry for 21 years. My oldest is 21. She was born a month after I became a youth pastor at a church. One of my scariest things is that my children, I would invest my life in ministry and my kids would miss Jesus. Because they see me in my flaws and imperfections. They see me in my worst moments. And I have (laughs) confessed and repented to their face over and over again when dad has lost his temper or when dad has done this. One, One of the most humbling things that you can do because you are going to fail is to admit that you failed. When my kids know I'm not perfect, but I hope they see my willingness to confront my imperfections. Here's my last thing for you. And this is for both parties, um, which are in the room, which I'll talk about in a second, but invite the Lord into your mess. Some of us are like, I don't even know where to start. Invite the Lord into your mess and then keep doing that. So what I'd like to do right now, I, I know that in any given room, there's usually two groups. I'm simplifying it. There's more than this, but there's typically two groups. There's, there's a group of people that um, have, they love Jesus and they're just want more. And there's convicting things that you want to walk in. And I'm going to pray for you guys in just a minute. But there are also potentially people in this room that even those that have been around church, and you've like, I've never taken Jesus serious enough to walk it out. And I spent... 18 years of my life, the first 18 years, 18 years, I grew up in the South, North Carolina. I went to church. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group, and I could identify with my words who Jesus was to me, but my life was not his. And so if you find yourself in that place today, I just want to pray with you because the most courageous thing that you can do is to begin the work begin the journey with Jesus. So if that's you, I'm gonna pray a real simple prayer. If you wanna pray with me, um, you can start your relationship with Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I'm a mess. 
and I need you. Lord, would you come and be my king? Would you come and be my savior? And would you allow my life to mirror you? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to pray for everybody else in this room that maybe something just hit you. Maybe there was something that you said or did that you feel convicted by. Conviction that moves you to action is the greatest thing that you can experience. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about being condemned. We're talking about conviction. So I just want to pray for those in the room that are like, man, there's things that I need to work on and I'm ready to surrender something. So let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for those in this room that they love you. They, they have been your child for years, decades, uh, and they're just acknowledging things still need work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give them the capacity, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And I pray that power over them walking out what they believe. We thank you for your grace as we journey with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.